0: turn in your Bible this morning to Romans chapter 5, Romans 5 and Hebrews 13. Do you guys have a seat? Do y'all need a chair in the back? Oh, you're good. Okay. I just want to make sure. Man, what a great turnout today. So glad that you're here worshiping with us. If you hear early, if you hear thirty minutes early, you got to see how really good our air conditioners do work in this house. It was nine degrees in here when we came in. Oh no, it wasn't. Oh, yes, it was. Yes, it was. Romans five verse 10 and Romans 13 eight and this will also be on the screen for you, beginning with Romans five. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being now reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Let me read that again to you. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So much more now once we're reconciled we shall be saved by his life. His new life. His powerful life. His shared life. And Hebrews 13.8 simply says this. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today and forever. I would like to take the Easter message, the Resurrection Sunday, I should say, the Resurrection message, and and give you maybe a little different take on it. The Bible says, if Christ was not risen, then our preaching is in vain. It's hopeless. Because He is death paid for my sins, which means I would not be judged under the wrath of God. But if there were no resurrection, I would simply live in a state of nothingness. Not tormented for eternity. My debts were paid, but there was no life to be shared. And the resurrection message and Resurrection Sunday is that we have a shared existence. He shared in our sins and we share in his glory. It's a beautiful exchange. And we understand that. But I want, I want to talk to you on a little side category with different things from the resurrection story. And it's this. It's one thing to believe in a historical Jesus. See, the world doesn't believe. Christians do believe, but there's another category. It's not that I believe that he lived, but do I believe that he lives in me? It's one thing to say, I believe he walked the earth 2,000 years ago, but do I believe he walks my earth near me today? It's one thing to believe that my sins were paid for at the cross, but does he continue to pay for them in that atoning work? The application of Jesus... I don't want us just to look today and go backwards and say, oh, I believe in what he did. But do you believe in what he's doing? Jesus Christ still the same. He's still the same. The same healer. The same power. The same glory. Don't don't settle into a watered-down Jesus. Don't settle into an anemic, powerless, momentumless Jesus. Everywhere Christ went, there were demonstrations of glory and power. And I want to give you just some of these from his death and burial and resurrection. And just the word still. It is my prayer that you go out from this place today. And every time you hear the word still. You don't think of just quiet. You think of the same. Still. He still all of these things. Let's pray. Lord, I just humble myself before you. And I know that in my carnal ability, there is nothing worthwhile that can happen. Man can motivate and man can inspire, but it all dies by the wayside. But your spirit gives life. And so I'm asking today for an anointing on my words that I would speak clearly and profoundly deep into the hearts of people that they may be changed for your glory's sake. Let me fade away this morning and let Jesus be front and center in this house. I ask you, God, in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Number one, Jesus still saves. And I know we know that, but just let me read you the story. And when they passed by him, reviling him, when he was hanging on the cross, they wagged their heads and said, You said you destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. If you be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests were mocking him with the scribes and elders, and they said this, He saved others, but he can't save himself. He saved others... He saved others. Here's the people that didn't even believe he was the son of God. And they're prophesying eternal truth. He saved others. Of course, he can't save himself. If he saved himself, he couldn't save me. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. And he didn't say it, but here's what heaven was screaming back at them. It's not an issue if he's the son of God. The issue is, is he the savior? The Son of God could come off the cross, but the Savior couldn't because he was doing something for us we could not do for ourselves. He saves others. Who are others? You. Me. He still saves the most unlikely, the uninterested, the unreachable, and the unnoticed. He still saves the rebellious, the proud, the prodigal, and the apostate. He saves the arrogant, the atheist, the agnostic, and the antagonist. He saves fully, absolutely, to the uttermost, for eternity. He saved people like me and you. People wouldn't give him six cents for our life. Wayward, awkward, rebellious, perverted, bound by all types of gross sins. Anybody else besides me like that? How dare you judge someone else when you're guilty of the very same things or its cousin? Stand there, I'm coming for you this morning. (laughs) But he didn't just pull the drape back so they could see my nakedness. He pulled heaven's drape back so I could enter into his righteousness and saved me. Oh, you may remember what I did and I might have flashbacks of what I did, but I'm more than what I did. He saved me, absolutely bought me, paid for my past, my present, and my tomorrow. I can't be any more saved. I can preach till I don't even know what I'm preaching. You know how some old preachers get there and they, they don't know the answer is Kansas. They don't know where they are. Just done. <laughs> saved. How can you say that? Because I'm saved. Rescued forgiven. I'm not serving him to be saved. I'm serving him because I am saved. Absolutely. Fully. Do you know your salvation is secure? Oh, do you believe in unconditional eternal security? I believe I'm eternally secure. So are you saying I'm telling you I'm eternally secure because he carved me in the palm of his hand He died for my transgressions, and when he died, I died with him. And when he got up, I got up with him. He saves others. Still does it. Don't you give up on your family and your friend and your spouse and your child and your mama? Arms folded, arrogant. The roof will fall in and hell will freeze over. Just watch, baby. Just watch. They'll never outrun your prayers. Why? Because Jesus still saves the one you think can't get saved, the one that doesn't want to be saved, the one that swears to you they won't be saved. He still does it. Still does it. I didn't want to be saved. My mom was praying in the will of God. This is the will of God concerning people that if we pray anything in his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we know we have the petition we've desired him. Save Johnny. I don't want to be saved. I can't be saved and party. I don't want to be saved. God's praying, save him. John's not interested. So God has a problem, except God doesn't have problems. So what did God do? Did he violate your free will? Mm -mm. He let me continue to make stupid choices, pay my stupid tax, and my life became such a hell I wanted to be saved. It's the long way around, but I got there. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Number two, Jesus still moves stones. In Matthew 28, it said, Mary came to the sepulcher and there was a great earthquake. The angel of the Lord descended from heaven and rolled the stone back away from the door of the tomb and sat upon it. The angel's countenance was like lightning. His raiment was white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became like dead men. Man had rolled a stone in front of the tomb of Jesus so that they could not look in and see his glory. And some of you have had men, people, parents, friends, teachers, relatives roll stones in front of you so that it blocked your view of Jesus Christ. They used his name and lived contrary to that name and it turned you off to the things of God. And that man, see, sometimes... Especially when you're young, parents have a way of rolling stones in the way that you're too small to roll back out of the way. You just can't see. Do you ever remember looking in the church and you, you drive by on Sunday and you'd see the crowd of people and you go, I don't get it. Anybody else beside me? I'm like, great day. You're one day to sleep in. I don't get it. Y'all look so sanctified at me this morning. I would. I'd wake up about noon, you know, and somebody went to church sunrise service. I went sunrise i didn't get it listen i couldn't see it but you know what jesus does you know what jesus does for us you know what god does for us he moves stones that people have rolled in the way to block see they might have abused you or neglected you or abandoned you or lied to you or harmed you and they named themselves as christians and they roll this stone see these people that rolled the stone in front of the tomb thought they were doing god's bidding But God sent an earthquake, an earthquake, heavenly power. Boom! He didn't ask permission either. And when God gets ready to roll the thing that blocks your vision of God's glory out of the way, he just does it. Stones that blind you, that hinder you. The ones that man has manipulated to block your view of God. Immovable stones, discouraging stones. Are no match when God gets ready to move what's in the way for you to see him and his word. He just sends an angel and an earthquake. And the Bible says that the angel was sitting upon the stone. That's kind of cocky, isn't it? Does anybody else? I mean, that's not just. I mean, you could just blow the stone down the hill. So here's this earthquake. This angel comes up. You don't think he was straining, do you? Oh, we think they're like us. They're just a little more powerful than us. Angels knocked down walls in Jericho where chariots could run side by side on the top of them. They just pushed them to the ground. So this angel moves it out of the way, sits on top of it, and his people are coming to the tomb. How y'all doing? Come on in, look. Take your time. Now, oh, you, come on. Oh, I know you're on the back row. Come here. Come on, come on, come look. Come, come, look, come, come, look, look. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He got up. John, I wish it was that easy. It is. And there's a day coming when you're going to see it. You're going to hear the gospel you heard as a little boy, and it's going to, like a, a flash bulb off, and you go, oh, he didn't just die. See, I believe that as a little boy, but he died for me. Oh, and when God does it, sometimes there's great visible power, and other times you just wake up. That's how it was when I got saved. I just woke up one morning and said, I'm going to church. Why? I don't know. Uh, Mama cooked me lunch? I don't know. What had happened was while I slept, the obstacle of my childhood had been rolled away, and there was an interest. To go to God's house. I didn't go planning on getting saved. I planned on eating chicken. Do you you hear me? I didn't plan on getting saved. But the thing that was in the way yesterday was moved today. And he still moves stones. Number three. He still opens our eyes. Simon Peter ran into the sepulcher and saw the linen clothes lying and the napkin that was about Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also the other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. When they got to the tomb, and there's, there's so much I could tell you, but that it was like a, they would wrap them in these linen cloths soaked with all these different spices and preservatives. It would make like a cocoon. So this was their way when, of course, uh, pharaohs and stuff, they went to much more drastic measures. But they would just wrap them in these claws so it would slow down the the decaying process, if you will, and preserve them somewhat. And why you would want to preserve a corpse, I don't know, but they would wrap it. So when they walked in, here's this cocoon, and it would stop at the head, and they would put a napkin over the head. And so here's this cocoon. It's like the ship in the bottle, except the ship's outside the bottle. And there's this hollow shell. (laughs) Ain't nobody in there. And the napkin that went over Jesus' face, some people call it the shroud, was folded. So the Roman soldiers were telling everybody at command of the Jews that his body was stolen. When do thieves fold napkins? Think about it. Why did he do that? Listen. Because Jesus still leaves evidence for us. Something that other people may not miss. Or the other people may miss. But we won't. Specific evidences. Uncommon evidences. Unmistakable evidences. So it's one thing to see a cocoon over here. And someone could say. Well you know that wasn't it. They brought that with them. And they put it in the corner. But why the napkin folded up. Listen. God, thank you for every baby in that room hearing about Jesus. We just thank you, Lord. Caring parents that bringing their children, wanting them to hear what they might not have heard when they were young. Anyway, so they walk in and they see that that could have been that. Oh, that's something Jesus would have did. He knew we'd get it. And for me, one of my little evidences he gave me. I'm lost Undone, on my way to hell, and I walked into a Shoney's restaurant. Y'all remember Shoney's, and from deep south, it's Shoney's, Shawnees, you know, big boy. Big boy was out there so long, he had cracked hamburger pieces of a hamburger missing. You remember, out front, old, old. Don't even go in the kitchen. We don't even want to go in the kitchen. And I remember going in the Shoney's on Pineona with my college girlfriend. Sorry about that, Kelly. College girlfriend. And I walked by a lady that must have been 100 years old. I'm just going to my table. She said, John Wood. What? What? You still running from the Lord? I'm like, I don't want to eat here. I don't like this place. (laughs) We go get in the car and she turns to me. We're on our way out. She said, who is that? I said, I don't know. She said, yes, you you, she, you have to know her. I said, I don't know her. So this unbeliever, then I'm, of course, of course, I didn't want to believe her. You know, I wasn't living right. This unbeliever didn't get it. And I knew from how I was taught that he knows my name. He knows my path. He knows where I am. And he left me in evidence that he was still current with me. That he had, see, I'd forgotten him, but he hadn't forgotten me. I denied him, but he hadn't denied me. And that little folded napkin in my life set me on an uneasy path. I knew I was targeted. A napkin folded up. See, you've got some in your life and you've ignored them. Or maybe you didn't quite see them. But could it be that the God you profess not to believe is leaving you little evidences that he's after you? Well, I'm not interested He's still after you. The day I showed up for church that day, the pastor who I did not know opens his Bible. God is my witness and reads the text. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. I'm thinking, come on now. Come on. And for everybody else, oh, this would be a good word. I've got this king-size sheet folded up, thrown over my head. You know, the napkin. I go, I just knew. And some of you, see it won't be a lot, but you thought that was a coincidence and it wasn't. And today you're going to see that Jesus still leaves evidence for those that are looking for him. Number four. He opens our eyes. was Number three. Number four. He comforts the sorrowful. And in John chapter 20, Mary had went to the tomb and stood outside because it was empty. And she was weeping. And Jesus came unto her. She didn't recognize him. And he said, why are you crying? Whom are you looking for? And she thought him to be the gardener, said unto him. Sir, if you've taken him somewhere, tell me where you've laid him. And I'll take him away. And Jesus spoke her name, Mary. And she turned herself and said, Rabboni. Which is to say master. Rabbi of rabbis. Master of masters. But don't miss the point that in his resurrection, he took time for the one who was weeping. This was her significant person that she had lost. It wasn't just that she had lost Jesus, but that Jesus was all she had. Jesus comforts the one today whose tears hides the face of God from them. The one who weeps constantly, who weeps alone and whose tears cannot be stopped. The one whose pain is indescribable. And is misunderstood by other people. Who just tell them to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and live. There are some sorrows that unless God speaks your name. You cannot pull out of them. You don't believe me? Live long enough. The one who is beyond the reach of man's words and efforts to console him. It is to this person that the resurrected Christ speaks their name by speaking their language. And Jesus still cares for the sorrowful. I, I don't think I've shared this but one time before. And uh, I just feel I'm supposed to today. And, you know, when I do things like this, almost inevitably I'll get an email from someone I don't know that doesn't go to this church and says, I can't believe you told that story. That's what I needed to hear. It's God speaking to them. So it, I felt this morning I added it to my notes right before I came down. When I was a little boy and my uh, dad passed away, it about killed me. I literally could not stop crying. Weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. I just couldn't stop crying. I'd cry at night. i cried cry during the day. i go to school. i cried. cry. The teacher would call my mom. Some, we, John, something's wrong. I just could not stop crying. My daddy was the person in my life. And I know you don't have favorites, but some of them are daddy's girls. Some of are mama's girls. Daddy's boy. I, my daddy was it for me. One day mama was going to a swimming pool. Someone had invited her to a pool and uh, she said, who wants to go swimming? And I said, Jim goes, I'll go swimming. I said, I'll go with you. And daddy said, you don't know where I'm going. I said, i go with you anyway. I don't care where you're going. I just go with you. And when he died, there was a part of me that uh, I couldn't pull out. I couldn't come up. And I told the Lord in the few early years there when I prayed some, and and afterwards, I, I really just, that was my excuse to fall away from God. But that 11 to 15, I just don't have any memories, if I tell you the truth. I just, I don't, they're just, it's blank. But I remember telling the Lord, first of all, I was so angry and upset that you'd let my dad die, and here these guys' dads are drunks and violent and cruel. And they're living. You know, I didn't get all of that. But I said, I, said, I'm, I'm I want to see him again. You're God. You can do anything. I'm 11. I'm praying bold. And it wasn't rebellion. It was a child that didn't understand. And I needed him to come into my garden and help me. And help me. I said, I need to see him again. You took him. I want to see him again. That night... That night, look how patient God is and how he cares. And he still cares. Still cares. I had a dream that was so vivid. 41 years later, I can tell it to you with not a note in front of me. We're at, forest, we're at our house on uh, Forest Lake Drive North. The driveway is like this. And I'm standing in the front yard and the hearse pulls in the driveway. Comes up to the top And stops. The two people in the front of the hearst go into my house, towards the house, knock on the door. My mother comes to the door. They go in. I go to the back of the hearst. I don't touch anything. The door opens. The casket slides towards me. The top of it comes up. And he goes, you needed to talk to me, buddy. And I said, yes. You left me. You left me here. And he began to say things to me that were so precious and beautiful. And powerful. And in my dream, I just spent as much time as I needed. There was no hurry. It seemed like it just took its time. And I asked him, I, I can share this with you. He said, why, why did you leave? And he said, buddy, God's got a plan here. And you and I will see each other again. And it's going to be okay. And you're going to be okay. And this, see, you'd have to know my dad for you to know that this was the to the Lord. Another evidence. So the front door opens. The two guys that drove the funeral car there. That rode together. Came out. And my mother was saying goodbye to them. And their backs were turned to me. to me. So I'm standing in the driveway. Looking into the, the hearse. And they're at the top of the hill. And they started to turn. And my daddy looks at him, He goes. Now what do you think these guys are going to say. If they see me sitting up in here. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that. And in that moment, he turned back to me and said, Johnny, God's got this, okay? I got to go. I love you and I'll see you one day, okay? And he pulled the casket down and I woke. I still grieve. I still long. I still mourn. But I'm good because Jesus met me in my garden and spoke my name and my language in such a way that there was sufficient grace to navigate the biggest pit that I ever experienced. And he still comforts the sorrowful. I don't care how deep your pit is. God is deeper still. And he will find you. And he will meet with you. Because he's that good. And he's that kind. Can anybody identify with that point? And praise the Lord. He's that good. He still gives peace. John 20 said that they were assembling in a room with the doors shut for fear of the Jews. And they were all trembling. And Jesus appeared before them and said, peace be unto you. And he said, touch my hands. Touch my side. Look at me. They needed peace because they had failed Christ. And they needed peace because their lives were in danger. And they were disillusioned. And some of them mistakenly blamed God for their situation. But Jesus came into their room. And all I want to say on this point is this. Through locked doors, he just appears. Oh, you can try to lock your fears out. And you can try to lock God out. But when he wants to come into a room, he comes into a room. And he grants peace. Here's how you know it's God. Peace. Situation hadn't changed. But you've changed. Oh, he still does it. Peace. Peace like a river. Unmistakable peace. Peace you couldn't produce. And peace you can't shake. Even though you didn't deserve it. Here's the ones that had denied him. They had gathered in this room. Afraid now of the Romans. Afraid of the Jews. And Jesus came into their fear. And pronounced this blessing upon them. He said peace be unto you. And he still gives it. Some of you today suffer from anxiety at great levels. and Being a Christian does not exempt you from anxiety. Being a Christian guarantees you peace. I wish someone had told me that. See, they tell, they'll tell you that if you're a Christian, you don't experience those things. You're not ever sick. I think I got the flu. You need to be more positive. I'm positive I got the flu. I got the flu. I really am. But what is it? He gives me healing. And it's against the, the worst backdrops of your dis-ease. And your uneasiness and your greatest fear that Jesus will walk in, even if he isn't invited, through locked doors and say, hey, peace. And when he says it over your life, that which you could try to work up. Have you ever tried to work up peace? It's kind of like you do 25 cent worth of prayer. You put it in the candy machine and you turn it and get the peace. And, oh, I hope this helps. Lord, I'm going to just a little peace. Don't work. But when he comes in and looks at you and says, hey, Watch. Watch. Look what I've done for you. Come touch. Come touch. Put your hand in this. Look at me. Peace. Peace I give to you. Peace I give unto you. My peace, not as the world gives, give unto you. Don't ever let your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. The peace that I give you passes all understanding. You can't explain it. You can just have it. That's how you know it's God. You try to tell somebody, you go, "Oh, never mind." I just got a feeling that everything is going to be all right. Jesus still gives peace. He gives second chances to people like Thomas that said, "I'm not going to believe till I see the, the holes in his hands." And Jesus said, "Come here." I said, "Uh-oh." Put your hand right there. Put your hand in my side, and Thomas said, "My Lord and my God." Simon Peter said, I don't know the man. And Jesus found him fishing and called out to him. Fixed breakfast on the shore. And he reenlisted him. While Jesus met with them in the house on the other side of those locked doors. To all those people, he said, I'm sending you back out. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. I've given you my peace. You've seen my glory. You have the message. Go. Second chances. Don't raise your hand. Those of you that were called You felt the call of God on your life in your teens and 20s. Maybe as a little boy. You ain't done nothing with it. He still reenlists those who dropped the ball. If you were called then, you're called now. The gifts and call of God are without repentance. The ones he enlisted here said, I don't even know Jesus. I don't even know the man. And they cursed to prove it. God still gives second chances to the husband that failed. To the father that failed, to the mother that failed, to the wife that failed, he still gives grace. He didn't just go into the locked room to give peace. He wanted him to get outside of that locked room and live again according to his intention and purposes. Jesus still keeps his word. Remember when I told you about the angel that rolled the stone away, sitting on it with his legs crossed? Come on in. You remember him? He also said this. He said, he's not here. He got up just like he said. Oh y'all, still don't, oh, y'all still don't believe he keeps his word. I've watched him for 10 million millennia. God keeps his word to a thousand generations. Didn't he tell you he was getting up? That angel, I believe, was confused. Not as to what God said. Trying to figure out Humankind. If you can't figure out your spouse in 10 years, you think they're able to figure us out over all these years? They look at us and go, okay, what if? What if if he, he stopped one of them coming in and says, let me just ask you something. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Okay, this is a tomb. Jesus is not here. He told you he was. He got up like he said, what are you doing here? Living people don't live in tombs. I believe he didn't get it. I really do. Because they're not all-knowing. They go on assignments, you understand. Why do you seek Jesus among the tombs? He got up just like he said. Angels don't have to live by faith. That's why there's a distinct class from us. They live by sight. But you have to close your eyes and say, I believe. I believe. I believe that God keeps his word. The promise he gave to you about your child, he gave to you about your child. The promise he gave to you about your life, he gave to you. He's going to keep his word. And here's the honest part. The, extra, the last 5% I should say. Sometimes it just don't look like he has. God gave me that dream about my daddy. But I still don't have a daddy. I have a spiritual father. I'm not looking for your sympathy. It's just how the cards were dealt. I have an earthly father. You hear the song, we used to sing it growing up, when you get to heaven, we'll ask the reasons, he'll tell us why. We're going to ask nothing. We're going to be so happy to be there. And one side of him and his glory is going to eclipse all these unanswered questions. And I don't see it. I don't see that he's kept all his promises. But He has. He has. Because I'm judging, looking through this little knothole, I'm judging the parade telling you what I'm seeing, and God's looking at the beginning, the end of the parade, and he said, "This is good. This is good." Uh, would you come at least to this one? Jesus still has the last say in Matthew 28. said, the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power is given unto me. Which means he has the last say in your life. And this is very important. I know this in my spirit for someone here today. He has the last say in your life. He might not have the loudest say right now. Or the most current say for you. But he has the last say. He still has a last say in the earth, under the earth, in the heavens and in all things. Whoever Christ chooses to forgive shall be forgiven. Who he chooses to heal, he'll heal. Who God chooses to bless, he will bless. Who he chooses to abase shall be abased. Who he chooses to promote shall be promoted. Who he chooses to restore, he will restore. What Christ has spoken over you shall be come to pass when he rose from the dead he told him he said all power is mine I don't waste my words he had spoke to my earthly dad that I would be a preacher when I was a little boy and my life went all the way as far away as I could get from it back into preaching the word of God what he speaks happens and the things God's spoken over you will happen What shall then we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up freely for us all. How shall He not now with Him freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. Who is He that condemneth? It's Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, peril, nakedness, famine, sword... In all these things, you're more than conquerors. Nay, in all these things, more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, or powers, or things present, or things to come, there is no height, there is no depth, there's no creature that's ever been created that can separate me from the love of God. And God has the last say in your life. He has the last say. John, I need somebody to come and speak over this. He's coming. And when he speaks, there is no appellate court. When he rules, no appellate court. He's the final say, the last say, the loudest say, and the authority. And the promises he's made to you, I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning, are for you. The promise he's made you, he'll keep them. He's not like people. He remembers. He doesn't forget. And change his mind. He remembered. That thing he promised you. I feel it so loud in my soul. He's not forgotten it. Hang in there. If you believe, you'll see the glory of the Lord in your life. And finally, Jesus still gives life. He still gives life. Matthew 27. After the resurrection of Jesus, the body of many godly men and women who died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared unto many people. So, Jesus died. The veil was rent from top to bottom. And at his resurrection, dead people just started coming out of the tombs. <laughs> Come on. We talk about resurrection and we're believing. See, it's so much easier to believe one day. But what if you went to see your loved ones today at Rose Hill and a Memorial Park, and all of a sudden the ground started moving a little bit and a little headstone got out of the way and there's Uncle Earl right there. There he goes. There he goes, Uncle Earl, just walking. So Jesus is resurrected and he's appearing and disappearing, appearing and disappearing. And then walking through the streets of Jerusalem are just selected saints that had died waiting on the lamb to die. And in the power of the resurrection, why, why would he do this? Jesus never did grandstanding. He wanted them to see this was an earthly manifestation of a spiritual reality. I give life. Baby, I don't just forgive sins. I bring you back. Oh, oh my God, I bring you back out. Back. Back from disease, back from decay, back from decomposition, back from when everybody else has given up, back. I bring them back. I share life. And his resurrection was so great, it just pulsed out. And people, what if, what if somebody came back to life that you knew? Ain't, they ain't paying for haircuts, you know what I'm saying? They walk in, oh, this one's free. Here, come here. Hey, how are how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. So this morning... We're going to take communion in just a moment. And if you're an unbeliever, my desire would be that you would bow your head and heart and pray and confess Christ as Lord. And I don't mean to embarrass, but this communion's not for you if you're not a believer. And if you're away from the Lord and there's an unconfessed sin, like I'm not repenting. Just let the communion pass. And I'm not judging you. The Bible just says that we're to be serious about this. Because many people are sick. And some die because they treat communion like it's just bread and a wafer. And you know it's just grape juice. It's what it symbolizes. And I want to st- I didn't want Resurrection Sunday to happen without us taking communion together. And so as the ushers begin to serve you. I want you to remember this word. And then. You don't have to bow your head, but what does still mean for you today? Lord, I need you to still be this. I need you to still do this. And I want you just to dialogue with the Lord where you are. It could be anything I covered or something I didn't cover. Lord, still, I believe you still do this for me. So our ushers are going to serve you. And then we're going to wait and take communion together this morning.